Luke chapter 1, verse 39. In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. This far, God's word. Christmas story has the birth of two babies in it. I've been telling you a couple weeks now. The birth of two babies. And therefore, the story of two pregnant mothers. Uh, one you know, Mary, of course. The other one is this woman, Elizabeth. We were told back in verse 7 of chapter 1 here that Elizabeth was advanced in years. Remember what we were told in our text? Not told in the text, but uh, Luke's readers would have known is that Mary was young. Very young. You, you might be surprised, and please don't be judgmental, about how young she may have been. Scholars note that the usual age for a young woman to be promised in marriage, the way that Mary was promised in marriage to Joseph, would be between 12 and 12 and a half years old. Don't worry, there, there would be another year of engagement while she was still living in her parents' home before the wedding. But that was the culture and experience of the time. So don't import what modern understanding is, just accept for history's sake, that's the story. We have a woman who's along in years and a woman who's very young. I think we could all agree. Old, new, or young, old and new. So we're learning about two mothers, Elizabeth and Mary. We're entering the story with the guidance of Luke, our author, of course, carried along by God the Holy Spirit, at the time when the older woman was expecting a baby and six months along, and the younger woman was expecting a baby and had just recently become pregnant, of course, by the power of the Holy Spirit. So it's a genius picture if you just freeze frame here. We learn a lot, and God wants us to learn a lot, and Luke is expressing a lot to us just in studying this genius picture. What's it a picture of? It's a picture of the roles of their sons. Think of who the babies are. It's John the Baptist. John the Baptist is spoken of a lot in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He's the last and greatest of the Old Testament prophets. He has a significant role. And then, of course, the other baby is Jesus, the, the New Testament prophet, if you will, the Son of God, of course. But consider all that these two expectant mothers had in common as they meet. They each had an angel previously appear to their family to tell them about a miraculous or nearly miraculous birth in one case or the other. They each knew for sure, before ultrasounds, mind you, that they were not having girls but boys. Neither mother had to consider what name to select, but rather the name for each baby boy was given from heaven both mothers had the mutual experience of a new life growing within them. They were sisters in pregnancy. But more than that, 
they were soul sisters in the history of redemption because each had a very unique, special, privileged role within God's redemption, his plan to save sinners. These two women had different roles from each other, but they were similar, and they had this time together, this brief time together. These two women had roles that were different from each other, but the roles of their sons would be different from each other too. Similar in some ways, and yet different. These two pregnant ladies both had the same God, and they heard from the same angel who was sent from that same God. Each of their boys, they each were told, would impact and change the world. Their boys would each become teachers, teachers of God and God's word. Elizabeth's boy, we were told as we studied recently, would, would be great. He would lead many away from sin and back towards God. But towards God is not far enough. John would not be able to lead people back to God. It was only Mary's boy who would truly be able to bring people back to God because he's the one who became their savior, the the savior for his mother, the savior for his father on earth, Joseph, the, the savior for Elizabeth and Zechariah and John the Baptist for that matter. He alone would be the the standout child, the savior, and the teacher. Our interest in this scene is multi-layered, and we come at it from various perspectives that Mary's child became our savior, became our teacher, and the, the early story of our savior is precious to us. And what are we to learn? Already when these teachers, these two teachers, babies, unborn babies, in their mother's bellies, were already teaching us something. It's fascinating. They taught us something extremely important. It brings us to the the main takeaway for this passage, the Christian greetings exchanged by Mary and Elizabeth and by their unborn babies. Stands as a model for Christian greetings down through these centuries. The way that we greet one another is an expression of our mutual faith, our mutual experience of new life within, our expression of mutual hope in the future. What might God do for sinners like us in a messed up world like this? Despite our various roles in God's kingdom, we put our hope in that one same God together. We have that in common. Our faith, our hope, our love, our brotherhood and sisterhood. And so... We greet one another as an expression of that mutual faith. So we see this in three ways, greeting each other with eagerness, greeting with joy and honor, and greeting by recognizing and blessing faith. Let's uh, start with Mary. We were were told by the angel Gabriel, if you look back to verse 36, that Mary and Elizabeth were relatives. Now here in verse 39, we see how Mary greeted her relative. I'll read verse 39 again. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Notice it said, with haste. Isn't that interesting? Mary went with haste. It wasn't Elizabeth who was along in years and along in her pregnancy. Six months along, 
who, who went and traveled to Mary. It was Mary, the younger one, who was early on in her pregnancy, who went to travel to Elizabeth. But what's interesting is that she traveled with haste. Why are we, why are we told that? There's no stray prepositional phrase in Scripture. They all uh, contribute something to our understanding. She hurried. She, she went with eagerness, with zeal, with some effort to get there sooner. The distance we know of some 80 to 100 miles uh, from, like say, from here to Madison or so. And in those days, on foot, it, it would have taken Mary three to four days, we could estimate, to travel there. She hurried to, to visit Elizabeth, her relative. She hurried to greet Elizabeth, who she desired to share in common what these two ladies had in common, as we've described. Mary was eager to greet her relative and her sister in the Lord, if you will. Why was Mary so eager? We're given the clues across chapter 1. Let's remember together why she would be in haste and so eager. Already with the recent entrance of the Lord Jesus Christ into the world. Recent entrance of Jesus into the world. Even as the tiniest of persons, yet unborn and being formed, Jesus Christ has come into the world at that moment, right? He had just come from heaven into the womb of the Virgin Mary. And already there is a fulfillment of prophecy this quickly for him. He's just arrived. Look back at verses 24 and 25. After these days, Zechariah's wife, Elizabeth, conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Verses 24 and 25. So Elizabeth was sensing her reproach. What does that mean? A sense of social embarrassment or public disgrace was due to the fact that she couldn't have children. It's what we call barren. Of course, the reproach in those days was huge. It was significant and it was hard to accept. We may look down on it, but just let's understand where the culture was in those days. It would have had a sort of reproach consistently to her, felt by others around her. Reproach was from her barrenness, but her barrenness had been removed, right? So now she's, not recently, but six months ago, become pregnant in the normal means with her husband, Zachariah. And now she's six months along, and yet she's still being hidden. She's still hiding herself, we're told in these verses. For five months, she's still hiding herself. If her barrenness had been removed, isn't her reproach removed? We're supposed to notice that she remained hidden away in seclusion for five months. Does this happen today? Are there people whose disgrace the Lord has removed through conversion, yet who are not yet invited into full fellowship in the family of God? We're taught here by the young godly, pregnant woman, Mary, how to bless a person. How to bless a person like Elizabeth who's hidden away in shame but needlessly doesn't have reproach before heaven, just has reproach before humans. The shame has been removed even by the Lord God's action to cause her womb to be open. And Mary went in haste in order to demonstrate that in greeting to Elizabeth, I see your disgrace has been removed. I'm coming quickly as I can to greet you. You're my soul sister. Think of it this way. Who, who is within Elizabeth? Who, who is she carrying in her womb? 
John the Baptist. He's representative of the last Old Testament prophet preaching the law. People, you have sinned, turn back to God. Repent. The, the law. The law tells what was wrong and sin. This is who was in her. He would later preach it. John the Baptist preached the baptism of repentance. And what she's doing is she's bringing Jesus to Elizabeth. She's bringing the mercy of Jesus to say, your disgrace has been removed, Elizabeth. It's caused by the law finding out your sin and the community going according to that law and finding out what they consider to be disgrace, to not have this privilege of having a baby. You must have done something wrong before God and it's your guilt being exposed. It's all that error. And She comes bringing love. She comes bringing welcome and bringing Jesus mercy, bringing Jesus, literally. I think the lesson here is clear. She's in a hurry to greet others to demonstrate how God has removed their disgrace. There was someone who in their past had an abortion, speaking of pregnancy and the preciousness of life. Let's say there's someone who had an abortion. And they come to our Bible study, they come to our worship service, and they come to get to know us. And over weeks of time, they open up to us and talk about what has happened in the past. That person is now converted. That person feels great shame. It's a difficult thing to get past. We need to be quick to welcome her as a sister in the Lord and eager to welcome her beyond what she has done and not hold that against her, for heaven doesn't hold it against her. She's come in repentance to Jesus and received his mercy. So we welcome the baby's father as well and extended family and we get to know them and the disgrace has been removed. Let's say there's someone who's been divorced. And now Christ has united that soul to himself and in the name of Christ we can give our warmest greeting and welcome and overlook the past and the sin and whatever the case was. All the hurt. And in these last 2,000 years, this is exactly what the church has done. The body of Christ, the Christian believers who celebrate Christmas. Churches are places at Christmas or outside of Christmas time to welcome sinners with eagerness and earnestness and zeal and effort. We become instruments to remove the reproach and awkwardness and disgrace. We cover wrongs in love. It's the mercy of Jesus. What does all this have to do with the Christmas story? It's at the heart of the Christmas story. It's the heart of the Christian message. Mary's coming that day removed Elizabeth's disgrace and sent that message in a way she could hear it. And it pictures what Mary's son would do. Already Jesus is changing the world. The coming of Jesus removes Elizabeth's disgrace. Soon it will remove the disgrace of more and more and others and others trickling down to you and me. In order to live a Christian life, part of what we always do is remain quick to remove the disgrace of others. How? By extending our greeting to them in the name of Jesus, the Savior of mercy, and getting involved in their lives. Secondly, we'll see from verses 41 to 44, how about we study Elizabeth for a moment. A greeting with joy and honor. Notice verse 41 that the reaction to Mary's greeting was one of joy. Let that be the headline for you, joy. Notice also the first person to react to Mary's greeting and react to the pregnant Mary's presence was the unborn baby John the Baptist. This was John's first action as prophet. He wasn't even born yet. His prophetic ministry began three months before his birth. 
It's the Old Testament prophetic office's first reaction to the coming of Jesus after a silence of 400 years. God had not sent a message through a prophet for 400 years. And the first message we get then is John the Baptist here. Mary greeted Elizabeth and there was a silent leap of joy to begin the prophetic announcements of John. Notice it was a leap. It's clearly the word leap. It was a leap. John, the unborn baby, was overcome with joy. How do we know? Because his mother Elizabeth, who's filled with the Holy Spirit, in verse 41, explained to Luke, who is our author, who then recorded this quotation from Elizabeth in verse 44, an extended quotation so he doesn't get anything wrong. He says, Elizabeth said this, quote, and the rest is a quote, For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. So we have it on authority that cannot be refuted, God's Holy Spirit, through God's word, that there was a leap for joy of the unborn baby John at the coming of the Lord Jesus just weeks old in Mary's womb. That six-month developed unborn baby John leaped for joy. We know that pregnant mothers experience all sorts of movements of their babies. But Luke has written very carefully here so that we'll know the exact truth. Remember Luke 1.4? Luke wrote so that we may have certainty concerning the things we have been taught. The exact truth is that this was not a kick or a strong movement or an unusually active time. This was a leap, a spirit-induced leap. If the Holy Spirit could move in the arms and legs of the blind Samson to let him push the pillars and take down the entire building and kill thousands of Philistines in one fell swoop, that same Holy Spirit could cause an unborn John the Baptist to leap in the womb. You want to get me crabby, tell me it wasn't a leap. It was a leap. (laughs) The word translated leap here is used to describe skipping or leaping like sheep skip or leap across a field. This was not some prenatal turning, an upward vault. Such was the force of the jump that God caused the mother who's connected to this unborn prophet-to-be Connected through that umbilical cord, she was filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 41, when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Why was Elizabeth filled with the Holy Spirit? What's the purpose for someone being filled with the Holy Spirit? In other words, we could ask, once Elizabeth got the Holy Spirit in this way, what did she do then? Answer, Elizabeth became the spokesperson, the voice box, the mouthpiece, for her unborn son, the prophet John the Baptist, who had something to say. John was able to leap as an unborn baby, developed as he was six months along, but he wasn't yet himself able to speak or to explain what the leap meant. So John's mother, Elizabeth, is herself equipped with the spirit of prophecy, and we are told the reason for the leap. Verse 42, she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. You gotta start that way. We're supposed to notice the stark contrast between Elizabeth's loud and immediate announcement in contrast to her own husband Zachariah's previous lack of swiftness, lack of words, and muteness. You see the contrast as we study the whole chapter together. Elizabeth unlike Sarah of old, did not laugh at or pause, but instead Elizabeth immediately believed. Therefore, Elizabeth was given this honor to be able to prophesy, carried along by the Holy Spirit of God, 
while her husband, the priest, could not speak, and while her unborn son could not speak, she was given this privilege to say what God had to say at that moment. As we discover later, it was John the Baptist's calling, his entire purpose for existence, and the central thing of his calling to point to Christ. And John came bringing new life to the barren old womb of Elizabeth, not merely so that one woman's disgrace of barrenness would be removed, but so that John could later announce the coming of the one who would remove the disgrace for sin and the disgrace of the sins of all of God's people. Who was it who said, Behold, the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the people? It was John. Every Old Testament prophet who ever lived would be glad to trade places with you this morning. Be a New Testament age Christian to have all this revelation of the New Testament for us. We live in an age of greater knowledge of Jesus. He has come. And the question is, how do we greet Jesus coming? The answer is we greet him with joy. How believers welcome Jesus' first coming is how we will welcome his second coming, with joy. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. In addition, what we do for the least of the brothers of Jesus, we do for Jesus. We need to honor the least of these in order to honor the greatest of these. Both Mary and Elizabeth were the least of these, and they blessed one another. God honors women. God honors women like Elizabeth, along in years, and so must we. God honors younger women, very young, and so must we. God honors the unborn, so must we. Clear, simple, straightforward, basic lessons out of this passage. We move to the last verse, verse 45, greeting by recognizing and blessing faith. This is still Elizabeth prophesying because her husband could not and her unborn prophet son could not. So this is the tail end of what she prophesied in one sentence here. Verse 45, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Notice, Mary was lifted up in this verse not because of her role, but because of her faith. Blessed is she who believed. Mary was recognized not because she would carry and give birth to and even feed the baby Jesus, but rather she's lifted up here because she trusted in God to send her Savior to cleanse her of her sins. She believed that there would be fulfillment. And if she's the one who would bear this baby, then she accepted that. And if it was somebody else who would bear the baby, then she would accept that. She believed. She's held up here because of straightforward, simple, basic faith that all of us have as believers. Faith. She believed in her Savior. The main way that Mary relates to Jesus is sinner to Savior and only secondarily as mother to son. This faith we know from Ephesians 2 is a gift of God. God gave the gift of faith to Mary. We're told that here in verse 45. What a blessing to have faith in the Lord Jesus and the plan of God for salvation. And Christ is the one who gave that gift of faith. It's Christ in us, the hope of glory, Colossians 1.27. And Paul also wrote in 2 Corinthians 3, uh, 2 to 3, that we are living letters of Christ to one another. We read each other like a letter. A letter that says mercy of God. A letter that says love of God. A letter like a book to each other. What's the message that we send? We send the the same message that Jesus sent. the, The same message that Mary picked up and sent. 
as she was carrying Jesus. We encourage one another. We bless one another to continue to believe all that God has for us will be accomplished for our salvation and for the good of his name and his church and the gospel mission around the world. We use our words and occasions to build each other up. And in our flesh, we're like Zechariah. Halting, unbelieving, muted, silent, chastisable. But in the Spirit, we're encouraging like Elizabeth and encouraging like Mary and even leaping for joy like John the Baptist. Imagine what a blessing the young Mary would have received with Elizabeth's return greeting. Mary was so warmly blessed and encouraged right away and then the whole time she stayed. I want you to see verse 56. I'll read it to you in case you close your book. Mary remained with her, remained with Elizabeth about three months and returned to her home. Now, um, math is not my strong suit, but this is pretty easy. Six months along in her pregnancy. Mary stays with her three months. Six months plus three months is nine months. And a pregnancy lasts nine months. Doesn't Luke, the doctor, seem to suggest to us that Mary witnessed the birth of John the Baptist? Maybe helped with it? And perhaps that experience would have helped her to prepare for her own important labor and delivery of the most important human that ever came into this world, the Lord Jesus Christ. That we're not told. I I admit that it's not there, but we are told six months and then she stayed three months. And perhaps we're warranted to conclude. What a blessing, though. The point sure is that the blessing these two women believers must have been to each other, three months together. Think of it, Old Testament John the Baptist and New Testament Savior Lord Jesus in the womb as Elizabeth and Mary are enjoying day after day of soul sisters praying together and crying together and rejoicing together as only the ladies can do. What a blessing. In the most special way possible, uh, the Son of Mary, the Lord Jesus Christ, became the best gift to be given to the world. His birth, even pre-birth, he started to bless. His life, what a blessing. His death, necessary. His resurrection purchased our salvation. What have we seen? That Christian greetings exchanged by Mary and Elizabeth and their unborn babies stand as a model for Christian greetings. We greet with eagerness, with joy and honor, and recognizing and blessing faith. As my uh, conclusion, we're in the Gospel of Luke, right? So when you think about studying the Gospel of Luke along these lines, it's good for us to remember Luke 15, the prodigal son story, we call it. And that story told by Jesus later God the Father is presented as a father in the story who took off running after his son who had been spiritually dead but now is alive. He returns back home and the father lost his dignity, pulled up his robes, and ran full out, full speed to welcome his son. Isn't that on theme with what we're seeing here? The father made haste to greet and welcome his son who formerly had gone away and now had returned home. We're we're called to follow God. We're we're, we're called to, to follow what Jesus did in Mary even. And then what later Jesus taught as an adult man in this prodigal son story to avoid the mistake of the older brother who though his father had ordered the killing of the fattened calf in order to celebrate the removal of disgrace for 
the bad sinner brother that he had come home. The older brother would not enter the celebration. Oh, that we would avoid that. We greet sinners with joy and we honor them the way heaven honors them. And that sort of welcoming is actually at the heart of Christmas. It's actually at the heart of the Christian life. Jesus came to remove sin. He came to remove the disgrace that sin causes. He, he came to give us the ability to greet one another with joy, to unite our hearts to one another in love, to give us the reminder to greet one another as children of God, all saved by his grace, no matter the person's background, when he or she trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. We welcome brothers and sisters in Christ. We trust in the same Jesus who came the first Christmas, who died on Good Friday and rose on the third day, and then we welcome any brother or sister with faith in that same Christ. You know, maybe the whole book of James is the first Christmas greeting card. The whole book. I'll end with this. Consider how James 1.1 begins. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion are scattered all around. Greetings. What it means is he packaged up the letter of James, and he sends it out to various places. Isn't that exactly what we do with Christmas cards? You package up your greetings and you send it out to various places. And he says, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, greetings. Again, the fulfillment of the main exchange of Mary and Elizabeth and their unborn babies for Christians to greet one another. Let's pray. Father, how we thank you for the welcome we sinners receive from you, our holy God, through 